Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rahul Mandal won his season of The Great British Baking Show in 2018, beating an estimated 12,000 other bakers. But he truly never saw it coming. Week after week, he always acted like an underdog, even when he had just come off winning Star Baker twice. Hold your hand up. It's shaking. It's always shaking. Oh. What are you worried about? It's so many things. So many things. I feel you, Raul. In that same episode, when he's told his Chelsea buns are to die for, he feels like he should apologize. That's classic Raul, though. He's always saying sorry and then sorry for saying sorry. It's just me being me. I just feel so scared all the time that I just say sorry to them. But that went okay, I guess. Raul got into baking in the first place to deal with his loneliness. Rahul moved to the UK eight years ago. Hello, guys. And now bakes regularly to make new friends. To make new friends. After this episode ran, as you can expect, Twitter blew up with people offering to be his friend, saying this is the purest thing ever and offering to be his moral support. Everyone knows how hard Raul is on himself. We do and the judges do. When Raul is waiting for feedback, he always looks like he's going to puke or cry or both. And even when the worst is over, he's told it's amazing. He's not relieved. It's relatable, though. Who wouldn't be an anxious mess if all of a sudden they went from their day-to-day as an engineering researcher to being thrust into the international spotlight for coconut cashew samosas? Well, if I tell you that they are absolutely delicious quickly, will you start looking happier? (laughs) Oh, Prue, if it was only that easy. But Raul's baking was consistent. Consistently good. Here's Paul known to be the harsher judge. The whole thing together, because the pastry is beautifully crispy, it almost melts in the mouth. Prue nudges Paul and he puts out his hand. The famous Paul Hollywood handshake, which is like the golden ticket in the world of Bake Off. It means you've done good, very good. The fact that we all want to give Raul a hug, it says something about the Great British Baking Show, about why it's so successful. It's a show that doesn't require the dark drama of a Vanderpump Rules. It doesn't need the high stakes of a million-dollar prize like Survivor. The show is weirdly engrossing, like when a challenge comes down to the bakers making cakes shaped like a celebrity's head. For example, a bust of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> yeah, it was an odd week. I can't do it. I can't put the head on. What do you need? I'll help you. I've got to put the head on, but I can't do it. Auntie's head. Bakers, you have one minute left. Do it. Oh, oh just put it on, put it on. Come on, Freddie, please stay together. 
After all the samosas are baked, the Chelsea buns judged, after all those stressful moments, the winner doesn't get $100,000 or keys to a cake shop. They get a cake stand. That's it. And, well, the admiration of a lot of new friends. I talk so much most of the time, and I just don't know what to say now. I think the amazing thing about Raul and why I'm so proud of him is that he came in unconfident, but he just kept going and he never reined in his ambition. He always tried to do a bit more than everybody else and it paid off. Even though Raul was filled with self-doubt at every turn, like Prue says, he kept going anyway making a chandelier with 150 biscuits, or the most complicated toast I've ever heard of. It's basically a carrot, a celeriac, and uh, shallots chopped up really nicely, then reduced down in the pickling liqueur with a little bit of curry powder, mix it with mayonnaise, and then I'm going to pickle some cucumber as well, and then a lemon and a few asparagus spheres and some dill leaves. I'm going to make some homemade cheese and to pickle some candied beetroot, some golden beetroot, and normal beetroot, and then we we'll just arrange it on the top. The time's up now you've described that. Raul never gets over being scared, but he tries anyway. Even when his head is going, no, 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 absolutely not. The show gives his anxiety plenty of airtime. And in the end, they even frame his intensity as a superpower. I love that. He's one of those characters that you'll miss when you're not with him, you know. His intensity sometimes is amazing. And he's so good at what he does. I don't think he realizes still how good he actually is. And I think that's what's magic about Raul. Raul! And that's what this episode is about. How the great British baking show subverted the competition show paradigm. Villains? Don't need them. Cash prize? Uh, It's cool. Crazy stakes? Meh. The Great British Baking Show demonstrates that kinder, more earnest television can be just as captivating as its cutthroat counterparts. I'm Mariah Smith, and this is Episode 9, The Subversive Sweetness of the Great British Baking Show. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. The Great British Baking Show has been on in the UK for 10 years. Um, and I watched it, I think, from season two. So I've been a, a fan from the start. And every single year, people, my friends and family would ask me to apply. That's David Atherton. 
I'm known for being on the Great British Baking Show, and on that show, you just get known by your first name. So I guess I'm Baker David. David is a little humble with that intro. He's not just a former contestant. He won in 2019. For American listeners, that's season seven. And just a side note, we call it the Great British Baking Show. They call it the Great British Bake Off in the UK. David never won Star Baker, which is kind of rare for a winner. He flew under the radar, but he still wowed the judges with his attention to detail. He stood out in another way, too. One thing that I totally loved is your bench was always spotless, and I heard that you finished, like, an hour earlier than everyone else during the challenges. What is your secret? You know, it's quite simple, actually, and it's to keep things simple. Um, I, Whenever I watched the show, I would always get really frustrated when people would just go, do too much. So, oh, I'll just do a little bit more, I'll just do a bit more. And then I understood why, because uh, for two of the bakes each week, you actually get them ahead of time and you've got to plan them. And you get a brief and the brief really tries to push you and it kind of questions whether you're doing enough. And then you send it to a food producer and they say, oh, are you sure that's enough? And I just had a rule to myself to say, yes, stick to what you're doing, because you see this again and again, that people bite off more than they can chew and it's a disaster. Keep things simple. I am writing that down. Now, David wasn't an aspiring patisserie owner. He didn't go to culinary school. He works in healthcare and is used to multitasking from working in intensive care units. He didn't think of the show as a stepping stone to being a scone influencer or something. For the few people listening who haven't watched, the show features the salt of the earth, not people hungry for fame. Some are grandmas with a killer biscuit. Others are accountants or truck drivers who can whip up a wicked meringue. Lorry driver Phil also takes the roads on his day off as a member of his local biking club. And that's honestly one of the reasons I love the show. The show isn't about promoting oneself. It isn't cast for conflict. The Great British Baking Show brings together people who have one thing in common. They all love to bake. Here's Elizabeth Nathanson. She's an associate professor of media and communication at Muhlenberg College. Without the seemingly professionalized pressure that another reality TV show like Top Chef has, but rather the pressure is around like caretaking and being kind to each other and that the pleasure is in the task and the connections themselves rather than some professionalized goal. The show isn't an all-out competition. It's sometimes even about cooperation. And at the very end of the bake, when time is ticking away and the pressures of the deadline you cannot escape, contestants will just show up and help each other get the goods on the plate. Think about that. It's down to the wire. You have a minute left on the clock. Time you can use to finish plating or polishing your bake. But you see your competitor struggling and you decide to leave your bench and your bake and help them. I mean, it's kind of insane. You see this helping happen in virtually every season. But since we talked to David, Biscuit Week in season seven immediately came to mind. Here's my producer, Joanna. It's week two. They're making chocolate biscuit bars, and Prue and Paul know exactly what they're looking for. 
What I don't want is a whole lump of chocolate with a little bit of biscuits in it. I want to taste the biscuit itself. If they've said it was a snack, we will want a snack. Crumbly, it must be crumbly. If they say it's going to be shortbread, we want it really short. The biscuit has to be perfect. No pressure. Seriously. So this is the signature challenge of this episode, and one of the contestants, Priya, is making her bars with ruby chocolate. Perfectionist Priya enjoys pushing herself. And not just in the Pilates studio. Oh, I'm jelly now. <laughs> as well as making cardamom shortbread and barfi, an Indian milk sweet, she's experimenting with a brand new kind of chocolate. So Sandy announces that they have 15 minutes. And everyone is frantically getting their biscuits to set in these molds because they're encased in chocolate. They have to essentially bake a cookie, then cover it in chocolate and put it in the freezer to set. And, you know, as the time runs out, you're just seeing chocolate oozing out of the molds and cookies crumbling. Yeah, these are the moments in the show where I absolutely ravage my nails. But back to Priya. So she is trying to pop her bars out and she's struggling. If anybody wants to help... And then all of a sudden, she is surrounded. There's David, Henry, Michael, and they just descend on her bench, helping her plate and decorate whatever she needs. Oh, my God. You guys. You're fine. You're fine. What do we need to do? Oh my. And then the clock runs out. All right, my lovelies, time is up. Priya's bars are plated, so she finally made it. Thank goodness. Elizabeth, she thinks moments like this really speak to the soul of the show. There's no host intervening to celebrate this moment. There's no remarking upon it by the judge. Frankly, you don't even really hear the contestants talk about it. So that lack of um, confessional uh, interpretation of that moment makes the moment just seem kind of organic and genuine and invested primarily in the process rather than the end result and the connection rather than the end result. With the Great British Baking Show, a lot of the anxiety is around time. Two hours quickly becomes 30 minutes. Like, what happens if you have to pee? If you need the toilet, you need to run out of the tent across the grass for about 100 meters to go to a toilet and no one stopped the time. It's just up to you if you want to do that or not. And I've got quite a weak bladder, so I would probably go three or four times every challenge, um, which takes a lot of your time away. Just watching them in the last minutes of a showstopper challenge is terrifying. Showstoppers are delicate, over-the-top creations. They're almost more sculptures than food. Like a snake cake, complete with an egg with babies inside. Or a pub built from gingerbread. They might be teetering, barely staying together as they carry them to the front. They're walking, wobbling. In the latest season, season eight, another source of anxiety was the weather. This season was filmed in the summer of 2020 during the pandemic, and it was hot. Yesterday was the third hottest day on record. If I had hair, it would have melted anyway. <laughs> in week seven, the bakers bring up the temperature multiple times. Apparently, it was 35 degrees Celsius. I did some Googling, and that's 95 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, imagine being in a tent full of ovens on a practically 100-degree day. They're sweating. I'm sweating watching them. And in a cruel twist of fate, 
Their showstopper challenge this week is an ice cream cake. Let's pray to the ice cream gods that it sets, shall we? After the ice cream sets, they take it out of the freezer and build a cake. And you can imagine, the moment they take it out, disaster strikes. Laura's cake is falling apart and oozing. It's a melting mess. Laura is 31 years old, always cheerful and helping out other bakers. But right now, you can feel the anxiety. She's doing whatever she can to get it in shape. Then, the time is up. She carries it to the front. Paul and Prue both take a bite out of basically a liquid situation. Man, kisses look nice. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I'll take that. It's all a bit of a on the lean, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's my fault. I had issues. Didn't press the right button on the old... Um, ice cream machine, so I'm really, really sorry. I feel like any other cooking competition show would have leaned into Laura's mistake. They would have said how disappointed they are, pointed out each and every flaw in the name of perfectionism, but not Prue and Paul. I think the ice cream's delicious, the praline, it's a lovely flavor. Yeah, your ice cream's are delicious, just not frozen. They know she's absolutely devastated, so why kick her when she's down? Sure, she's not going to win, she might go home, but she tried. It's a departure from other reality TV shows where it feels like the contestants are picked apart and left in tears. Elizabeth again. Frequently on competition shows, the judging seems to be about the person and the personhood. Here instead, instead of judging the people, it seems like primarily they're, they are in fact judging the food. Judging food and not people, what a novel concept. That's not to say the judges are easy on the contestants. It is competitive. And they're all wanting to impress them, to cause a smile across their poker faces. Especially Paul Hollywood. During Roaring Twenties Week in David's season, David presents his adorable custard pies. They have flappers on them. Very professional, very neat on the outside. It is absolutely exquisite. Paul takes a bite, and then... Yes! (laughs) Paul puts out his hand for his infamous handshake. And that's kind of where he recognizes they've done a bake really, really well. So I was probably most proud at that moment. Ugh. A Paul Hollywood handshake, it is quite sought after. But Paul Hollywood is um, like a professional baker and he is quite harsh as a judge. Very, very fair, but harsh. And occasionally he gives a handshake to someone who he thinks has just done basically a perfect bake. Paul Hollywood is not the gushy type. He's like that withholding dad who you want to hear say, I'm proud of you. So when he puts out his hand, everyone's jaw collectively drops. And there have been seasons where there have been complaints where he's given out too many. But for our season, he didn't give out very many. So I think there was only five in the whole thing. So to get one of those handshakes was probably the most important thing to us bakers. What's remarkable about the show is despite the need to impress the show's mom and dad, Prue and Paul, there's no sibling rivalry behind the scenes. We weren't really meant to be in contact during the week because it's filmed on a weekend. 
and then you've got a week where you're meant to be practicing um, and then you go back for the next weekend. Uh, and we would talk on the phone. We would give each other tips and hints. Um, I even had, there was a time for me in the semi-final, uh, Henry, one of my competitors, had gone out the week before and I had a really busy work week that next week. So he actually practiced one of my bakes for me. I never practiced it at home until I got into the tent. I just had Henry's notes from when he practiced it for me. The approach seems almost backwards for a reality show. Imagine pitching a show where it's a competition, but cast members can help each other win, and the judges are going to be nuanced and empathetic. I feel like networks here in the States would be like, uh, no. If this was done by a US company, they would think, no, we have to put in higher jeopardy. We need to make it really intensive. That's Scott Bryan. He's a journalist based in the UK who's covered the show for BuzzFeed and the New York Times. He says the show is too laid back, too British, to ever be made in the US. I had to know what he meant by this. When I used to work at BuzzFeed, um, we used to have US colleagues come over and they would be like, I put on BBC like four last night and they just had an uninterrupted shot of someone on a canal boat and it was on TV for two hours. And you're like, oh yeah, that's slow TV. We have it on all the time. It's just like really laid back TV. Or for example, we have a show called Country File where it literally consists of presenters who are nice and warm going to the countryside and talking about lambing and seeing cows. And then there's you know nothing that is in any sense of jeopardy there. American television is dominated by the need to sell ads, to make money. But in the UK, the economic model is pretty different. And perhaps that funding structure has something to do with why a show like The Great British Baking Show can exist. The BBC, um, which is paid by the licence fee, so every person um, who has a TV in their home has to pay one, which is, comes to about £155. Uh, you know, they have a, a, a really dominant share in terms of all TV viewing in, in Britain. The Great British Baking Show fulfilled a need for British viewers. That's how the BBC works. It's not driven by capitalism. Gasp. So what happened with um, uh, The Baking Show is that they had a contract with the BBC and it became bigger and bigger. The Great British Baking Show is no longer with the BBC. Its skyrocketing popularity led it to land on Channel 4 in 2016 to some consternation from longtime fans. But for most of its run, if you had a TV in the UK, you were paying for Bake Off. In the U.S., we don't fund PBS, our quasi-publicly funded television, even close to the level the U.K. funds the BBC. Elizabeth pointed out, although Brits have really carved a niche in the kinder, slower realm, American TV has tried. I mean, I do think Project Runway has some elements that are not unlike the Great British Bake Off like the warmth associated with Tim Gunn and his advising and the judging. But those also do have a capitalist slant to them, to the degree that those reality TV shows are intended, are presented as if they are springboards to future economic success. This does not present itself as that. More on The Great British Baking Show after a quick break. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Unlike a lot of reality shows, like let's say Survivor or The Real World, where it's clear that the production wants to create a narrative around each cast member, on The Great British Baking Show, we honestly don't know that much about the cast. We get the basics. We go home with them and see a bit about their families, their jobs, the town they live in. But there's no producer whispering in David's ear to bring up that DUI arrest from last year or ask about their daddy issues. For the most part, we just see them bake. And that's kind of refreshing. From what I've heard, that came from series one, where so often these shows, they try to pull on the heartstrings of things going wrong or um, something that's bad that's happened in your life and it's been turned around. And I heard that the, the presenters in the very first show said, we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to um, talk about someone's, you know, poor life in the past and how they've come through. There are no villains or anyone you don't want to see win. Sure, there's fan favorites, but it's like you're rooting for all of them. And you sense that feeling in the tent too. Like when they announced the winner in 2015. The winner is Nadia. Nadia is crying. The other contestants are crying. I mean, literally the people she beat are comforting and hugging her. Well done, Nadia. The fact the show has pretty low stakes probably helps foster this air of congeniality. They're not in it for a million dollars or to become a celebrity. They're in it to become better bakers. Um, A lot of the time people are going on it just because they're so excited to be in the tent um, and to bake rather than being highly competitive people. David went on to kind of challenge himself. I wanted to go on the show to be more vulnerable, to be able to kind of, because I was nervous to go and I was like, no, just go on there and be yourself. And I wish I could forget about the cameras even more and actually just be myself because the Great British Baking Show celebrates that kind of thing, just humanity and just someone being human. Um, So I wish I'd shown even more of myself to the public. Some bakers go on to become well-known, like Nadia, who has her own show called Time to Eat on Netflix but most just go back to their normal lives. Raul went back to being a scientist. David still has the same job as global health advisor for an international development nonprofit and lives in a sensible one-bedroom flat on the outskirts of London with his partner. He's not treated like a celebrity in the UK. Actually, it's American audiences that roll out the red carpet for him. And Scott says that Love Productions, which makes the show, they actually want more Davids. They intentionally cast people who don't want to hit it big. Because that authenticity, it shines on the show. Next time on Spectacle. 
Next week is our last episode of the season. We'll talk about another competition show that plays against type. Authenticity not only compels viewers, on this show, being authentic is what it takes to win. The challenge? You have to charm your fellow contestants without ever meeting them face to face. You communicate solely by dictating messages through a voice-activated television. Circle, can I see Alana's profile? Welcome to The Circle. On social media, you can be anyone. Let the games begin. And say anything. Okay, okay, let me think. So who would you be if $100,000 was on the line? Welcome to The Circle. What's up, Circle? A new social experiment where players don't meet face-to-face. What? They only communicate through The Circle. 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 Take me to my profile. In the past, villains rose to the top. But nowadays, with viewers smarter than ever, they're keen to the overproduced drama. And it's just not as appealing. So the Circle cast people like Chris Sapphire, who would be true to themselves and then let Jesus take the wheel. When people first meet me, they are like, girl, you're so confident. Where do you get it from? I said, honey, it's called Godfidence. That's next week for the final episode of Spectacle and Unscripted History of Reality TV. You won't want to miss it. Spectacle is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted and co-produced by yours truly. Lead producer Joanna Clay reported and wrote this episode. Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris are our executive producers. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis. Our associate producer is Chloe Chobel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Andrew Epen for his original music. Laura Bullard is our fact checker. And special thanks to Raquel Gates, Vikram Patel, and Shauna Shiro. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spectacle underscore pod. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.